Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined as always by Nick Tostel. How you doing there, Hulk? Excited to be here. Very, very excited. I know you are. We've been coming in heavy these past few episodes. And we had another big episode planned for today, but I thought we'd give ourselves and the listeners a little break and concentrate everything on one movie again. And I'm really excited that it's The Wrestler today. Yeah, this was a really cool pick, and I remember we were thinking about it, and I was like, it's your call this time, and I thought you would, it was going to take like a, like a day or something just to kind of like ponder, and then we just came up at the same time pretty much with this idea, Yeah, because we looked through a certain list of our movies, and we're like, how about that? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, exactly. It's one that we both love, and I think we're both really excited to talk about it, and for different reasons. I'm going to do a little quick background. The Wrestler came out in 2008. Directed by Darren Aronofsky, written by Robert Siegel, starring the great Mickey Rourke. It's a movie a lot of people were excited for because the marketing positioned the movie so smartly. I remember this. I mean, even on the poster of the film, in huge, big, bold letters, it says, Witness the Resurrection of Mickey Rourke. And that's it. This was his comeback, the golden boy who sort of faded into Hollywood obscurity. He was back. So get ready. They shot the movie for $6 million in 35 days. That's wild. Oof. They shot it in and around New Jersey. It made $44 million. It was nominated for two Oscars. Not bad. What's the film about? I'm going to be quick. This is my least favorite part. This is also a good time to remind people that we are going to be talking about every aspect of the movie. Everything will be spoiled. So, okay. While there is some conventional driving force, will he or won't he compete in the climactic rematch, that this movie does not have a plot. It's one of the reasons that I love it. It's really about Randy the Ram Robinson, who is 20 years past his prime as a world star professional wrestler. And with that glory far behind him, we observe Randy really just for a few weeks as he works in a grocery store and deepens his love for a stripper, tries to reconnect with his estranged daughter, competes in small but brutal wrestling matches that are seriously putting his health in jeopardy. And, you know, that's it. This is a bleak movie. It's gray. It's cold. I remember I texted you during it when I was watching it, and I was like, can you imagine if a scene from this movie took place during a blue, bright, sunshiny day? Like, it, <laughs> it wouldn't fit in this movie at all. But I love that this movie embraces that grim reality of its lead character. I adore that Mickey Rourke does not play Randy as some guy who's pissed off and down about life. He seems like a decent guy. I mean, he's a shit father. Yes, that can't be ignored. And that leads to his ultimate downfall. But he's polite. He's good with kids. He's courteous. He's really humble to the wrestlers who look up to him. I love that he did not choose to play it like a curmudgeon. I, it's a great choice. And me personally, I was really excited for this movie. I'm a huge Aronofsky fan. But moreover, I adore Mickey Rourke. We're going to get into that a little more later. I saw this movie at a film festival a few weeks before it was released in theaters. And when it was done, I thought, yeah, that's the best movie I'll see this year. And it was then and it still is. It's my favorite movie of 2008. I really, really love it. It's one of my favorite movies of that decade. How about you? You have a lot to say about this movie because I'm going to kind of tease it by saying you are a fanatical pro wrestling fan. So take us away. Yeah, yeah, wrestling. Oh, yep, brother, brother. Um, yeah, wrestling is probably my, not probably, it is my other passion uh, outside of filmmaking and everything has to do with film. Wrestling is something to me that I think is just 
one of the coolest things that happens on planet Earth. I My very first memory of pro wrestling was The Undertaker. I was absolutely terrified. And I remember images, like I remember Hulk Hogan. I mean, these are type of names that I think everyone kind of knows when they think of pro wrestling. Um, but I wasn't into it. I, I just kind of knew it. And it wasn't until January 4th, 1999, where I sat down with my uncle to watch an episode of Monday Night Raw. And that night, I watched Mankind, Mick Foley, to anyone who knows, face The Rock for the WWE Championship, WWF at the time. And I just remember that night, my life changed. I was like, wow, all right, there was life before wrestling, and now there's life after wrestling. I have since gone into the history of watching everything and anything that wrestling could possibly do with the territories back in the day to at the time that I was watching younger WCW and ECW and then all the way until today where right now is actually a a booming time for pro wrestling. There's so much going on. There's so much out there. So when this movie came out, I was definitely uh, skeptical. I did not mm-hmm. know what I was going to watch because up until this point, there had been no movies done on wrestling that were any good. And I was very protective. I was protective of the business, brother. That's, I think, a thing with wrestling fans. We're very loyal and we're very, uh, yeah, I don't know how I feel about doing that. They leaned into that skepticism. Yeah. Aronofsky knew exactly the world he was entering into, that it was sacred ground, and that he needed to be careful. And I really respect that they did that with compassion. This movie does not make fun of this world at all no not at all and actually at the time when i saw it in 2008 i actually didn't care for it in the wrestling aspect because i thought it pulled too much back from the curtain but now and re-watching it i had the opposite opinion i i felt that they showed it exactly for what it is and especially the tier of where that is because you've got the big you know, organizations like WWE and AEW. And these are very, very pronounced businesses. They're handled just like any other major sporting team or league. But where this world takes place is a very, very real world. And it's not glamorous. And not all wrestlers find this reality. But... This is a very, very real reality that a wrestler's life can and has gone to by not pulling any punches and by not making fun of it and not even dwelling. It's not it's not depressing, but it is sobering. It's a really it is a sobering thing because it's not I don't think the movie is trying to set out to be depressing. I think it could end much, much differently if it wanted to really, really be depressing. Aronofsky knows how to make depressing movies. So in that vein, this is an Aronofsky movie. He's presenting what I think is probably a realistic portrayal of some of these guys that have kind of this fall from grace. And one thing that struck me about this viewing, I liked hearing that you've come around to it a little bit more. I loved it in 2008, but I even like it a lot more now. One thing I really noticed from this viewing is that this poor guy just doesn't know how to do things the simple way. Even when he goes tanning, 
in front of that tanning bed, he takes off his pants and like takes them off in a way you can hear change going everywhere. And it's like, dude, it's not hard to take off your pants. Like you sit down, (laughs) you take one leg off and then you don't have to, when you're done, pick up all this scattered change everywhere, which I'm sure he's going to do. He doesn't have a lot of money and he doesn't do this because he's mean. He's just, he doesn't go about things in the easiest way. Everything is kind of, it's a little more difficult of a step, but when presented with a challenge, like having to be serving this deli meat, which he doesn't want to do. He has fun with it. He makes the most of it. I'm here. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a little flirtatious with the older women. I'm going to like bust some chops a little bit and I'm just going to have fun with them. And it's a really good approach, but yeah, it's a very sobering movie. Certainly. And it really speaks to what a wrestler's life is. Uh, Wrestlers, man, they live and die by their shield. They love what they do. It's the only thing that they know how to do. So many wrestlers, when their time is up, have a very, very difficult time transitioning out because it's their thing. And that is really what's represented here. And I love that he doesn't really know, like everything is difficult for him in that way. It's also a great character choice, but it's also speaking to wrestling's the only thing he knows how to do. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing that, that has ever been there for him. That is very much like if you talk to any professional wrestler, they will tell you that it's it's travel, it's camaraderie, it's the fans. Everything that that life is, is a consuming, all-consuming life. And he he embodies that in a really cool way, which to those struggles is a really cool choice. Absolutely. And before we get into the movie a little bit more, I mentioned earlier The Wrestler was my favorite film of 2008. And 2008 was coming off a really, really good movie year, which is 2007. That's a tough act to follow. But this was the year of Slumdog Millionaire. It won almost every Oscar it was nominated for, including picture and director. The other big hit from that year was The Dark Knight. Big, respected, huge part of the culture. Other big ones from 2008, Benjamin Button, Frost Nixon, Milk, Doubt, Rachel Getting Married, Revolutionary Road, In Bruges, Pineapple Express, Burn After Reading. I'm missing some, but regardless, The Wrestler was one of the most anticipated and talked about movies of that year, and that was thanks certainly to two guys, and we're going to jump into one of them now, Darren Aronofsky. This is a hugely popular contemporary director. He has such a strong vision that even if his movies fail to make money, he's still given creative freedom on the next film. It's a very, very rare position to be in that... You're kind of allowed to do what you want, even if not all of your movies are a hit. He hasn't had too many hits, honestly. I love his work. And real quick, prior to The Wrestler, he had made Pie in 98, Requiem for a Dream in 2000, and The Fountain in 2006. Following The Wrestler, we had Black Swan in 2010, which is by far his biggest hit. Noah in 2014, and Mother in 2017. Fucking Mother. Oh, Mother. Um, <laughs> mother. Uh, As it stands now, The Wrestler is right in the middle of his career. It's certainly his most realistic movie in terms of subject material and presentation. There are no fantastical elements in the film like there are in The Fountain or Black Swan. And there are no insane camera editing work like there is in Pi, Requiem, and Mother. The Wrestler is told straight and it may be his best film. Some say it is. It's certainly in the conversation. I'd probably still go with Black Swan, but The Wrestler is certainly his most emotional film. This is not a director who leans into the tearjerker elements of 
human nature a lot. And this movie does that. And I appreciate seeing that side of him because this movie is tenderness with a bite. I love that. Tenderness with a bite. That's yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I think I would have to go with Black Swan is probably my favorite Aronofsky movie. Yeah. Um, but this would be second. Same. Yeah. Number two with a bullet. What are your overall thoughts on Aronofsky? Are you what, just where does he stand with you? You know, do you look forward to his movies? Were you a fan? Are there any you're not a huge fan of? Are there any you're like, man, every time I watch that, it's crazier every time. Aronofsky, I, I really, really appreciate Aronofsky. I think he's really good at what he does. And I do have some movies with him that I'm, I'm like, I'm glad I saw it. I don't know if I can watch it again. Yeah. I felt that way about Requiem for a Dream. And then Mother. <laughs> Forget it. Mother's great. I Mother is great, but I'm never going to see it again. He's the only, yeah, and I'm the asshole who saw it twice in three days. So in the theater. Yeah, because you wanted me to see it. <laughs> yes, I look forward to every one of his films. I'm very excited for whatever he does next. And I appreciate his vision. I've never seen anything like Mother. Yeah. It's a movie that's there, and he really, really went for it. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. We get to have the Mickey Rourke conversation now, which I'm really excited about. We could we could genuinely do a whole podcast about him because I love Mickey Rourke. Yeah, you're a big fan. Yeah, he comes from the school of acting that, in my opinion, Monty Clift, Brando, James Dean, River Phoenix, Heath Ledger all came from. These are private men who leave everything on the field in terms of acting. There's an intensity to Mickey Rourke, a rugged handsomeness, a bad boy charm. He was so explosive in the 80s. Body Heat, Diner, Rumblefish, The Pope of Greenwich Village, Year of the Dragon, Nine and a Half Weeks, Angel Heart, Barfly. That's 81 to 88. After that, things start to get a little dicier for him career-wise, but say what you want about those films, and I didn't even mention all of them. I just mentioned the highlights. He's great in each one of those movies. As he gets into the 90s... <sighs> Okay, look, I mean, we, we said this on the Daniel Day-Lewis podcast. I'm not interested in regurgitating Hollywood gossip here. Neither are you. What I do know about Mickey Rourke is what he has said in interviews, and that's what I will say here, is that after a while, he started to not really respect himself as an actor, so he decided to start boxing professionally. That's where a lot of his focus went, and I think, as a result, the movies that he found himself in weren't necessarily up to the quality of the ones that he had been before. He took a different path in life. I don't begrudge him for that, nor anyone. And, you know, there are still some really good performances in some smaller movies that I like during the stretch, like The Rainmaker, Buffalo 66. He has a really terrifying monologue in Buffalo 66 that I love. Yeah. Animal Factory, The Pledge, Man on Fire, Sin City, of course. It's a long speech, but I'm a big Mickey Rourke fan. I think this is his best work. That's not easy for me to say this is one of my favorite film careers in film and yeah your thoughts on him yeah I think this is his best performance it's probably my favorite I mean there's nothing in this that's not ah, beautifully flawed and tragic in that way everything that you just said about him is exactly right like he is this big-hearted guy like you can see it like he's got this charm he he means well by everything he does he just can't really put the pl the pieces in, in, in order. And watching someone like that is challenging. And it's his big heart that makes it something that you're rooting for. It makes it something that you, you want to see him do this well because he's not a bad guy. But when he is thrown 
with something that he doesn't know how to deal with, he does not know what to do. And that is very awkward in, in a beautiful way. There is a symbiosis of character and actor being fused together here. That there's so many things relatable to Mickey Rourke, the man, and Randy the Ram, the character, that I love watching. And that kind of with each subsequent viewing is a little more heartbreaking. But we got to touch on Marissa Tomei and Evan Rachel Wood real quick because they are both fully bringing it here. And these roles on paper are cliched supporting parts. The stripper with the heart of gold, the angry estranged daughter. But they both elevate those cliches. They're just that good of actors that they can do that. Tomei was nominated for the Oscar. No complaints from me. But Wood honestly kills it in this. It might be my favorite performance of hers and. She's not in the movie much, but she's in my two favorite scenes, the boardwalk scene and then the scene you just mentioned, that argument. And she shows the hell up to Mickey Rourke in a major way. Aronofsky was very intentional that they did not meet beforehand. Their first scene together in the movie was their first time meeting each other. And That's smart. And I love watching them bounce off each other. Yeah, I mean, she is such an interesting character for me to watch because... I relate a lot to her. Mm-hmm. Um, I I grew up with an estranged father, more or less, not completely estranged, but we were not. He wasn't. He wasn't present. But I never had anger towards it. So it's interesting for me to watch her angry because I I think to myself, it's it's hard because I went through it. So trying to kind of assess for myself as a human being that anger and seeing it come out in her it's always so, it's almost educational in a way and yeah. it's kind of like oh this is this is how you can't control your emotions and this is how someone's dealing with it one sec let's pause let's pause here for a second that's that's significant because you're relating you're relating a film character to an experience you had but you're curious as to why your experience in real life isn't like the characters like why aren't you angry about this angrier you know and i have that all the time when I watch movies about brothers with fractured relationships and they're screaming at each other. You know, we talk, I talked about warrior in a recent episode and it's really interesting when that happens and you're right. That's we talk about that a lot. This idea of movies giving us perspective and there is kind of something of like, Oh, I've been there before and Mm -hmm. I pulled myself out of it because I'm here. I'm right fucking here. Like I'm in an air conditioned room recording a podcast. Okay. And I've been down and out my life. And so have you. And so is probably everyone listening to that in one degree or another. And there are certain people who can watch a movie or listen to a song or read a book or whatever it is and connect with it in a way that is so substantial. And so like, I mean, you're just watching that and you're going, this poor woman, I wish she didn't have this anger anymore. Like, I wish she just could kind of get out of it. And I've been in both positions. I've been I've I've been watching movies about brothers where I am angry. I mean, as angry as them. And I'm like, yeah, you're, yeah, you're damn right. And now you get a little older, you calm down from it, get a little perspective, and you're like, man, I wish I hadn't spent so many years angry about this. Like, yeah. It's kind of like you said, your relationship to the film has changed. My relationship, again, to Warrior changed a little bit to where when I first saw that, I was like agreeing with them. And I'm like, yeah, now I just want to give them a hug. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, it doesn't have to be this hard. It just doesn't. Well, that's what happened to me the first time I saw it, because the first time I saw it, I remember being turned off a bit about the wrestling. But I was, in that sense, has changed my opinion on that. But but what took me out of it the first time, what made me love the movie was it hit home for me because he actually reminds me a lot of my dad. 
So it's a very strange movie for me to watch because I'm thinking of him through him and I'm thinking of me through her. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't have a very strong connection to her the first time I saw it. I was more thinking about him as because my dad lived a he wasn't a wrestler. (laughs) That would have been cool. (laughs) <laughs> but um, he did have a cool job. He was a roadie. Yeah. He was a roadie for, you know, the biggest bands that you could n- name. And he was on tour with them. So he was living a similar life where you're on the road, you're you're doing a gig, and you have the people you're with. But ultimately, he didn't have anything to keep. And so what hits me home with him for this movie is his home life, his living in the van, living in the mobile home, what he does when he is coming out of his heart attack and he's just, you know, trying to get to sleep, read. Those things really hit home for me a lot. I don't know. Maybe I don't need to talk anymore about my dad, but um, no, do it. Go for it. There, there were um, the line Evan Rachel Wood says when when she's kind of listening to things that he wasn't there for, like birthday, like you don't even know what like what my birthday is, like that rings true. I don't, I I doubt my dad probably knew what my birthday was. Oof. The the scene where um, he parties the night before and misses that that was it in a nutshell. That any time my dad did not see me was because that's what was happening. Movies kind of, <laughs> we get to wrestle with uh, how <laughs> we feel about these things, and they can help us. And um, or at least when we get to a place like what you were saying, where it's like I'm here, you know, it it can't hurt me, mm-hmm. but I can grow. I can continue to grow. I can continue to learn and investigate. And if you're willing to investigate it, it's there for you. Yeah. I mean, the hardest thing in the world is looking at yourself and being like, you know, yeah. <laughs> what's going on here? Why do, why do I do the things I do? <laughs> yeah. And if you're a person like me or like you, watching a movie can kind of help trigger those questions. And, oh, wow, that's interesting. Okay. Let me try to get my life back on track. <laughs> I mean, I felt that way <laughs> once or twice. Um, okay. Moving Moving on. And thank that's man, that's all great. Like, thank you for sharing that and those those personal connections. It's I say it all the time, but these aren't these really aren't just movies. We're not watching this and like you're not just putting the wrestler on and like cooking dinner in the background. We're invested in this shit. Yeah. Big time. There are some movies we can do that to, sure. Or do that with, sure, but this ain't one of them. Um this is a this is a call to action, folks, because there is a making of documentary on this DVD and Blu-ray called Within the Ring that every fan of this movie and every aspiring filmmaker should watch. It's less than an hour and you get a really good indie encapsulation of making a movie of this size. It is not a super polished documentary. It's not trying to be, but it's totally fine. And it is incredibly useful. There's a lot of good stuff going on in this, but you get to hear from Clint Mansell, who does the music for all of Aronofsky's movies, and he has a great interview in it. You get to hear from Maurice Alberti, who shot the hell out of this movie. Maddie Labatique usually shoots Aronofsky's films, but it sounded like they needed uh, a bit of a break from each other. And that's okay. That was a smart move because Aronofsky said that he wanted the wrestler to be shot in a proactive documentary style. I didn't know what that meant. 
Here's what it means. <laughs> Documentaries are shot in a reactive style. The camera is reacting to what's happening because they don't know what's going to happen. In The Wrestler, they knew what was going to happen. So they were being proactive to the action. Like the camera could lead a little, but the entire movie is handheld. And that style all works because Alberti has extensive experience shooting really challenging like wartime documentaries and that immediate cinema verite style really marries well with the wrestler there's a shot early on shortly after he signs the autographs for those for those guys and the camera like lifts off the ground kind of and that's really the only like you know kind of objective angle the the whole movie is very subjective in, with him we're really only seeing what he sees we're very very much on the ground and i Really like that about this movie. It really helps marry the film and reality. Yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, I there's one shot where this is just me. I love this when he gets out of the hospital. There's a faraway shot where we see him come out, and it's we see the whole entire building, and then there's a sign that says "Do not enter." And to me, like what that does is like if he continues down this road, death is next. It's not there like there's no coming back like you want to stay away from this hospital like this is this is do not enter territory, man. I love seeing that shit in movies. Interesting little tidbit about that. Go watch Nick Dostal's first short film. There I go. And it may or may not have something very similar to that. Exactly. The guy who shot it was thinking really far ahead when he did that. (laughs) (laughs) People are going to get this joke. I shot it. So sorry. It's like, yeah, it's too yep. deep of a cut. But yeah, that's until this conversation. I didn't know that you had like an affinity for street signs. I kind of do too. I mean, Boys in the Hood starts with that very obvious stop. And it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, they can mean something. I'm, I think if it's played well, it's fine. They don't give you yeah. a close up of the hospital no, sign. It's way back in the master. Exactly. And it's just, it's something that's there and it's something to have a little fun with. This is not an exit. Right. Mm. <laughs> Perfect. I want to circle back to Marissa Tomei's performance in this. Please. Because I think this is my favorite performance of hers. Oh, wow. And this is really upon second viewing because the way that she is so guarded, the way that she is so hypersensitive to things, you can see when something good comes to her and she shuts it off right away. She does it in every scene with Mickey Rourke, it seems, where, you know, this is a harmless guy. Like, he he truly looks at her with love. Mm-hmm. And she knows that, but she's not going to give herself to that because this isn't the place, this isn't the time, and I can't do that. I won't do that. I think that is so resonant in her. I've known people that like this, and it she really, really nails those personality traits because there's always the question that I think for actors which is one of the most interesting questions to me is not exactly what is it that you want it's what happens if you don't get it and I think she lives in that world of what if this bad thing happens and so she's got to do whatever she has to do to put herself up in armor I just think that that's just a very, it's very subtle, but if you're really looking for it, uh, she is so, so alive in that way. It's beautiful to watch. Yeah. If you never let anyone in, you can't really be let down. Yeah. Right. That's kind of how she's 
kind of going through it and her priority is her kid. Yeah. That's that's number one. I I think there's a lot going on to her, to Pam, the character that she brought to it that we are not aware of. Like there's a lot going on with that yes. relationship. That is what a really good actor can do because that's just in she did her work and she's showing up and yep. it informs everything. Evan Rachel Wood did the same thing. You can just tell when they come prepped with this stuff. And she has a Marissa Tomei now, a that character has a defiance that I really liked. Like when she finished chugging that beer, the look she gives him like, I use, okay, one beer, you're right. And she looks at him and she's like, I'm gone. I didn't know this was your favorite Marissa Tomei. I really like that. That fi- Her final scene, the final look she gives is really heartbreaking because she's finally letting someone in. Mm-hmm. And it's at the exact moment that he's finally decided to let everyone out or to rather yeah. to push everyone out. And that is Fuck, that is Shakespearean. That is fucking tragic. It's at this exact moment, at this exact crossroads. She's ready and he's not. And it's it has not been that way for the entire film. And that's what makes no. it difficult. And when you watch her and when when she has a change, it's so fast. Like a thought, yeah. a decision, a choice. It's instant. And that's that's how her process is. That's that's how she that's how she operates. I did want to hammer home the argument scene a little more because it's so brutal and it's so real. And The Wrestler is a simple film about simple choices, to me anyway. After Randy and Pam, that's Marissa Tomei's character, get into that argument, Randy goes home and parks his car outside of that trailer park. And he sits there and he makes the decision. That, to me, is the most important scene in the movie because he makes the decision to go back out, to get drunk, to do drugs, to have a late night. And by the time he ends up back in his bed in the late morning hours of the next day he knows he's got that dinner with his daughter that night but he crashes and he wakes up and misses the dinner which derails essentially his whole life so yeah had he gotten home from that argument and just gone to bed early you know crack open a few beers pass out in your trailer play your video game then you're refreshed you arrive at the restaurant early for your daughter and maybe your whole life has changed but again he takes this this abuse from this you know verbal and emotional abuse from pam and doesn't know what to do with it so he just goes out and acts out and that all leads to this really really brutal argument with his daughter in which he really doesn't say a lot and she's she's doing most of the talking and again i have to call back to this documentary on the dvd because there is a scene there's a clip in the documentary when they are filming that scene of them arguing Evan Rachel Wood is on fire. Mickey Rourke is not bringing it. You can tell. He's just not. He's not in it. And you hear boom, boom, boom. You hear like some thudding. Aronofsky fucking storms onto the set, grabs Rourke and like smacks him in the neck and in the head and shakes his head. And Mickey Rourke is in the middle of his fucking speech, in the middle of his monologue, shakes his head and then exits frame. And the implication there, I'm getting emotional talking about it because... The level of trust that is in there of Aronofsky not yelling from the back going, fake, give me more, give me more. He goes up and grabs this man, this broken down piece of meat, shakes him and kind of lets out a grunt that basically says, you're not doing it and we can't afford for you to not be doing it. So step the hell up because your scene partner's crushing it. And then ultimately we get the scene we get, which is Mick York at his best. So I love that scene so much for that reason, but. Yes, it's what you talked about. It's the partying the night before. It's these series of choices that if you go one way, like life is kind of simpler. Yeah. It just is. It's a little easier, but he doesn't know how. And that 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 scene in particular really mirrors 
um, that was an interesting one when I first saw it because that that was my dad. Like any time yeah. that um, I didn't see him was that, and so to th- to watch have the the mirror of that and to see him and that feeling really resonated with me in terms of seeing my dad and putting myself in his shoes for that it's a very very strange cool thing i guess so as a crazy wrestling fan i wanted to ask you a few questions first of all is this the best movie ever made about professional wrestling yeah, I would I would have to agree. Um, oh, I don't know. I'm just I, yeah. I have no. You would know better than I. I would say yes. I I would say yes. I mean, there's um, it's a very hard thing to paint what pro wrestling is. I've always said the best way that I can sum it up is that it's the most extreme form of theater that there is. It's storytelling on a physical wavelength it's a violent dance and what that entails and what goes into that i think is expressed in this movie you know when you see those guys um behind the scenes talking about what they want to do it rushes a little bit the storytelling and psychology of a wrestling match but they get the point across i think anyone who doesn't know anything about wrestling would see this and be like oh they get an idea they get a sense of what this is and how they Mm -hmm. do it and I think that is represented in the movie. So again, that's another testament to Mickey Rourke because he does look like I never once don't think that he doesn't look like he knows what he's doing as a pro wrestler. And a lot of I know he didn't do all of his own stunts, but a lot of that stuff in the ring is one take. Like a lot of those are kind of stealth oneers that you don't really notice are long takes. And 52 years old is look. Rourke was a little cagey about how he was able to put on the weight, but I think he did it through by any means necessary. I'll put it that way. I don't know if it was all entirely legal, but that man's body is just a template for like, do what you can to it. Here it is. It's a template of destruction. And I love that scene of when she goes, I thought wrestling is fake. He's like, I'll show you fake. And he starts showing these scars and he's like, what did he say? Like a detached or like a torn bicep? Like that shit ain't fake, man. (laughs) Oh my God, that would hurt so bad. Listen, we're... You know, okay, now you you said the F word, so I'm going to get into it. I um, said it in relation to the No, you movie. did, you did. I'm no, not yeah, saying absolutely. it about the thing. I'm saying I'm glad they touched on that in the movie because yeah, you have to. Too. And that it very quickly was like, here, let me show you a few scars. And then you get that brutal stapler ladder match that's like none of that is yeah. fake <laughs> and that and that is like that that is a reality like that those matches do exist um i'm not personally the biggest fan of those i think that's a little much but uh especially in that independence scene th- those type of things truly do exist and i love the way that that scene was done if we just saw everything from beginning to end like the other two matches go mm-hmm. we would not feel every injury that he sustains in that match right and we feel it as it goes and it goes and it's such a smart way to write that scene to execute that scene because you could look at that one way and be like okay this is what happens well what's the more effective way what's the way that we really get into this and that's the way that they do that and i that's actually my favorite scene just because of that it's the only scene sequence in the movie that is cut out of order. And it is really effective that way because 
when we are seeing the destruction after the fact and the way he's just letting out these grunts as they're trying to like stitch him oh. up and you're so close and he's just he's smoking that cigarette and you're and he's like sweaty and bloody boom you cut right back to him in the ring you're like oh man this ain't gonna mm-hmm. this is just not gonna end well and i don't know how many times we've seen a heart attack in a movie i don't know if it's ever been done that's as good as it has ever been done yeah. it is so believable I want to throw a wrestling question your way. Do you have any insight into how much money the Ram would have made in that final fight? Not much. Not for a show like that. Not. I mean, his character is a name talent. Yeah. So he probably would have made a bigger chunk of change that night. But my guess would be for a show like that, because that was a pretty hyped up show, too, on the independent circuit. Any lowest fifty dollars to, if at most five hundred, maybe, maybe more like maybe two hundred. Okay, so that's really important to put into context because we are kind of at the end here about talking about the movie, and we of course have one final question: Did Randy die? I have a take on it, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go through it because, because for me it's pretty simple, and for purists the easy answer is yes, he is dead. But the real point to me is not whether he's alive or dead. The important implication here is that Randy has proven that wrestling will always come first. Mm-hmm. Whether he lives or dies, he only ever gets hurt in the real world. Love, parenting, connection. He isn't good at any of these things. He isn't admired for them. In wrestling, he can be all those things. And I've never really been glorified for doing anything, but I imagine it would take a lot of self-control to stop doing the only thing that makes you feel alive and the only thing that makes you feel like a hero and a king. So if he lives after this, wrestling will always come first. So my thing is whether he's alive for the next 10 seconds or the next 30 years, what this guy has proven is that for probably less than $500, he is willing to die Mm -hmm. just to have that moment with his fans, just to leave it all in the ring. Yes, I do think he's dead. I think the fact that the screen stays black for 30 seconds before we get any credits. You have Bruce Springsteen's title song coming on. That's very that's a very deliberate choice to stay black for that long. It kind of feels like a moment of, I don't know, reflection or silence for the Ram. That's how I've always perceived it. But what's your take on it? I love what you said about um, that he uh, he's willing to die for this because that's what wrestlers do. That is the wrestler's mentality. They yeah. they finish the show. There is no such thing as, oh, I hurt myself too much. I'm I'm done. They this, some of the most brutal injuries have happened, and guys keep going. They don't know how to, the 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 show must go on is something that they mm-hmm. live and die by. So I like to think that he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, for a number of reasons is. It's the it's the purest choice. He's said everything and done everything, and there and the sad reality is there is nothing for him. There isn't. I think if he goes with Marissa Tomei, he's gonna fuck it up. And I mean, that's a very pessimistic, cynical attitude to take. Maybe that's why I make movies. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but this is the coolest thing about this is that. This is the type of conversation you can have. Exactly. There is no way, right or wrong way to look at this. It's how whatever it affects you, it's how you feel 
And so I really love the ending for that because I think it's also a beautiful way it's done mm-hmm. by watching him soar through the air and being a wrestling fan. That's that's those are the moments that that these guys live for. Yeah. So, yeah. So love that ending. And I yeah, dude's dead. <laughs> we arrive at the Oscars and this is this is a little tough. As I mentioned, Slumdog Millionaire was the big winner. But the wrestler was nominated for two awards, Best Actor for Mickey Rourke, Best Supporting Actress for Marissa Tomei. She was up against Penelope Cruz for Vicky Cristina Barcelona, Amy Adams in Doubt, Viola Davis in Doubt, Taraji P. Henson and Benjamin Button. Cruz won, which was expected. I'm not mad at that. Maybe I would have given it to Davis then. Maybe Tomei now. I don't know. It's tough. It's Tomei still got it. That's basically the ultimate takeaway. So what do you think? Oh, I love Penelope Cruz in that movie. Uh, it's a it's a good category. Yeah. Like she's good in it. She's really strong. Yeah, it's th- there's some strong hitters here. So now we move on to something a little a little tougher. Best actor: Richard Jenkins for The Visitor, Frank Langella for Frost Nixon, Brad Pitt for Benjamin Button, Mickey Rourke for The Wrestler, Sean Penn for Milk. This was between Penn and Rourke all the way. They were old friends. They had had a tough relationship. Penn cast Rourke in a bit part in the pledge because Rourke was so broke. Penn had won his first Oscar a few years before in 2003 for Mystic River. And this is tough because Sean Penn gives a very good, genuine, heartfelt performance as Harvey Milk. But there are a few issues here for me. The first being that in situations like this, Sean Penn has the goodwill of Harvey Milk on his side, and that certainly isn't Sean Penn's fault, but I think a lot of Oscar voters look at their ballots and go, oh, right, Harvey Milk was a great guy, so I'll vote for him, or I'll vote for Stephen Hawking, or Winston Churchill, or Freddie Mercury, and the goodwill of these real-life people is being utilized in these Oscar campaigns, and that's part of the game, but in 2008, during this Oscar season, This really seemed like it was Mickey Rourke's last shot. Sean Penn was probably going to go on and continue to have a good career. He'll probably get nominated again. Plus, Penn already has one, so just give it to Mickey Rourke, goddammit. But, (laughs) you know, he uh, he won a Golden Globe and an Indie Spirit Award for The Wrestler. Two great speeches, two great wins, but this was his Oscar. That's how I felt then, and that's how I feel now. I I agree. I think I, I would have given the Oscar to him, but I did love what he said in the award where uh, sometimes in life all a man has is his dog. Yeah, I, I like that. He dedicated, if you go watch his Indie Spirit Award win, his dog had just died a few days before. He, he always has a few dogs, and he starts crying, like, because mm-hmm. he's, again, he's just a really sweet, good-natured guy who's really misunderstood. I think a lot of people think he went the way of drugs and alcohol. That's not what Mickey Rourke did. Like, he just, he's had a tough life, but... When he leaves it on the screen, it is there. But anyway, other Oscar talk real quick. It is still utterly absurd and baffling that Bruce Springsteen's title song wasn't nominated. Makes no sense. It's such a good song. Yeah. Well, what's funny is that like the next, not the next year, two years later, Aronofsky has his big Oscar movie with Black Swan that, you know, wins Natalie Portman Oscar. He gets nominated for director, gets nominated for picture, cinematography. And I don't know, maybe some of that was saving face. For this, because this The Wrestler was a really well-received movie and just should have had a somewhat better showing. So that's it. Those are our thoughts on The Wrestler. I really appreciated your 
very specific context with your dad and with professional wrestling. We've arrived at the end. What are you watching? Let's take it home, brother, brother. <laughs> sure. I'm going to go first this time. Um, I did want to, we're talking about Mickey Rourke. I wanted to pick a Mickey Rourke film, an older one. And I chose this one specifically. It's Year of the Dragon, 1985, directed by Michael Cimino. This one was a deliberate pick because when Rourke was winning for like the Golden Globe and the Indie Spirits, he often related Aronofsky to Cimino in the way that they were, you know, they're tough guys with a strong vision. They don't make a lot of movies, but he had, he held them both in very, very high regard. And in this movie, Year of the Dragon, they clearly had a lot of fun together. It's, you know, Mickey Rourke plays a blonde-haired cop. He's, listen to this shit, he's the most decorated captain in the NYPD, a Vietnam vet, and he's totally straight. Like, he doesn't take bribes, he doesn't do anything, and he's he takes it upon himself to hunt down the Chinese mafia in Chinatown, New York City, before, like, when all of his superiors are saying there is no such thing as a Chinese mafia, like, he's hunting them down. It's it was made in 1985. It is a it is very much an 80s movie. Big time. Some of the frankly, some of the sexual politics don't hold up well today. Um, But in terms of Mickey Rourke, he's young, smoldering, ferocious at the top of his game. Speaking in terms of the wrestler, I'm going to go with a documentary called The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. It's a uh, documentary done on the pro wrestler Jake the Snake Roberts, who is a Really, really uh, popular wrestler back in the 80s and 90s. Dude is one of the best promos in the business. He had some of the best interviews. He was really good in the ring. He knew how to present his character. He's big in the wrestling business. And um, he definitely had some um, inspiration for Mickey Rourke's character in this. And he, uh, this is a story about how close to death Jake the Snake came and his resurrection from it. I think it's a great title to throw into um, as a as a enhancement piece to the wrestler and also to kind of maybe get people interested in pro wrestling. It's not the most glamorous look into it, but it is a very moving human story. And 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 being a wrestling fan, it was great to be able to see a documentary done well and to. Um, feel good about this man as a person and you know the pro wrestling business all right well that's it for us we hope we've given you some interesting ways to look at the wrestler and maybe some new movie ideas to check out so as always thanks for listening and happy watching party like a fireman Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can check out my flicks and my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you find all of Nick's film work. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com. Next time we're going to do our biggest episode yet, the one we've been building toward, a breakdown of the great John Cassavetes. We put a ton of research into this one and we're super excited to share it with you. Stay tuned. Any other additional noms you would have liked to see for the wrestler? Nah. (laughs) All right.
Good effort. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>